Cherry Solutions Developer News, episode number 101 uh, for Thursday, October 1st, 2015. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Jeff Lebonsky. And we're here to talk all things tech. And we're going to start out today. I promised I would do this just because it's just silly. We're going to start out with Jeff's tinfoil hat edition news items. Let's start with the one about malvertising. Sure. So um, what is malvertising? So I'm a big fan of the tinfoil hat brigade uh, because they are actually all out to get you. So malvertising has been kind of on the back burner and simmering for a while. It's gotten a whole lot more prominence lately. Um, so you visit a website. Let's just call this website, you know, Forbes. <clears throat> and uh, since the, uh, the entire advertising system is based upon very rapid counterbidding, you know, extremely high volume, extremely, you know, low latency bidding systems, and nobody's vetting any of these people. They insert all kinds of malicious JavaScript and Flash directly into your browser from first-class websites. So it's been kind of fun lately. Google and Yahoo have been doing not a whole lot to actually counter it. Uh, they say they are, but they haven't. Uh, so Realtor.com and Forbes.com recently have been completely compromised by some of these uh, malvertising companies. And so actually the two uh, rootkits that they've been pushing called Neutrino and Angler have a 40% success rate and are currently known vectors for zero days. So, wow. <clears throat> yeah, so if you have recently visited realtor.com or Forbes.com, you really want to double check and kind of update your antivirus and malware and all the other fun stuff and run rootkit revealer and, you know, all the usual paranoia stuff. Especially on Windows, perhaps. Yeah, especially if you're on Windows. Uh, just to keep in mind, like, nowhere is actually particularly safe. So these guys are injecting directly into well-known, trustworthy, quote-unquote, sites. Uh, so this may be an excellent time to begin looking at particular ad blockers and seeing what they're all about. Um, yeah, really. I mean, Apple now with their uh, shipping ad blocking features has been throwing the advertising industry for a big loop. I guess maybe one of those things is preventing advertising. So what would you suggest if you're running on a uh, Windows computer or a Mac? Do you have any ideas of the kind of software you should run to try to prevent this? So I'm personally a big fan of AdBlock Plus, and mm -hmm. I've been using that for a very long time. It kind of feels like it takes the net back to 1996. Uh, so all the, the flashing boxes are all basically gone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually, it's kind of refreshing because, you know, you, you sit there and you say, wow, I didn't know that Google had, had advertisements on the side of my Gmail account. So it's neat that there are, a lot of that stuff just gets vaporized. So AdBlock has gotten some kind of fun cat flap about they have a whitelist that you can pay to get on. And so, you know, if, if you can make a buck somewhere, I guess somebody's going to try to do it, which is kind of neat. But it does make the web a much more enjoyable place. Uh, don't forget to support your content, do the high ground kind of thing. But it is nice to know that, that you can visit a website and not particularly get a you know attacked by, uh, by Russian or North Korean hackers. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Yeah. So actually that kind of leads into something that I went through this week. This is more of a, a user review, so to speak, of using Windows 10 on some Surface uh, devices. I really am a fan of the hardware, uh, the Microsoft Surface Pro 3 and Surface 3 in terms of like it's a tablet, but it's a computer. I'm not a fan of the operating system just because it's been driving me crazy. On my Surface 3, not the Pro, the Atom-based processor. I got the nice little thing saying, would you like to upgrade to Windows 10 about a month and a half ago? And I'm like, sure. Because the Windows experience, Windows 10 experience on the Surface Pro 3 was frustrating, but eventually okay. I thought, well, it must be good now for the Surface 3. So what do I do? I load, you know, I load Windows 10 on the Surface 3 about three weeks ago. Uh, and all of a sudden, my performance went down in at least down to half. Powering it on, six months worth of waiting. It locked up. Every time you powered it back on, it rebooted instead of went back for suspend. And I thought, silly me, I thought it could have been like the Windows security stuff. So I started looking what the other security programs were. And I ended up with Bitdefender. Now, let me tell you this. 
I looked at Bitdefender 2016. It was supposed to work with Windows 10. On both the Surface 3 and the Surface Pro 3, I had to remove it mm. because it would not restart. I would sit there and I would hold down the power button and I had to go through all sorts of hoops and jump up and down and do incantations, uh, incense, whatever I had to do. And it just it just would not come online. Yeah. So I, I realized, you know what the hell with it? I'm going to remove it. And there was my problem. Because then I removed Bitdefender from Windows 10 on my Surface 3. I started getting these nice little Microsoft hex exception errors oh. every time I ran any of my settings. <laughs> and guess what that means? It means your Windows is screwed. I'm like, you know what that point? I go to little, uh, and this is where Microsoft has gotten better on their devices, at least. You go to the recovery menu on Windows 10, yeah. and you say, go back to the machine settings, factory settings. And I didn't delete my Windows 8.1 partition, uh, you know, the install partition, and it went and completely wiped the whole thing. And I started up, I got Windows 8.1, it's like five times faster. Like, <sighs> So it actually, the Windows 10 recovery did the right thing and downgraded you. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly isn't that That's, a great deal? That is fantastic. Somebody at Microsoft got it right. Yeah, exactly. So in, in the end, I went back to 8.1 and probably to keep that machine on 8.1 for the foreseeable future. I, I don't think an Atom processor can handle all the extra doodads. Plus, I think it's got four gigs of RAM. So why add all that stuff to that? Now, I should say my i5 machine, the Surface Pro 3, has been pretty good lately, but only after I removed Bitdefender from that as well. So I don't know if it's Bitdefender or not. But the other side note is... I happened to go to one of my kids' teacher's sites, and that website is like his own private Joomla site that he wrote in, like, I don't know, 2006 or whatever. Nice. And all the content, the links are all broken, so I tried a link, and it went to some page that said, your Java plugin is not installed, and I closed the browser immediately. And so it could have been the five minutes between when Bitdefender was active uh, and not, I could have been malvertised or malware or something. Or something. Or something. And, you know, I, I'll say this. It makes me pause and think maybe I should just eBay those two suckers and get the iPad Pro, for example, and the pencil, because at least that's an operating system that will work. Even though it's not perfect, it'll at least work pretty solid and stable, and I won't get tons of viruses on it today. Yeah, but you'd be running iOS. It's not a real computer. It's not a real computer. And that's what bugs me about it. I, I, I put Linux on the uh, i5 version, and it's almost good. You know, they almost have mouse drivers figured out, and they almost have, but almost only counts on horseshoes and hand grenades. Yeah, you don't want to go so far. Uh, so there's my little nightmare story about Windows 10. I still have it on my i5. I figured I'd keep it there so I can get the whole experience of Windows 10 and know what it is. But I went back, and the first thing I, what do you think of the first thing was that I installed when I loaded up uh, Windows 8.1 on the Surface 3? Just take a wild guess. Bitdefender? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, what would you as a programmer want immediately? Um, the first thing I do is Nanite, really. What's, well, what's that? No, it's a. Uh... It's a uh, consolidated installer. Comes with Chrome and the JDK and Notepad plus plus. Oh, that's beautiful! Yeah, I didn't know and, that. And you just it pulls them all down and installs them all silently and then deletes itself. It's a fantastic program. I like that. Nanite. N i n i t e. Oh, okay. Because what I ended up doing was I loaded Sigwin. <laughs> I loaded. Oh, Sigwin. No, 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 it's slow. No, no, it's heavy. No, no, it's ugly. That that actually brings me up to an in, an interesting segue. I'll have to stop turning my head to look at Ken because of this microphone. Uh, <laughs> or, by the way, we're doing this for the first time, as is obvious, because I don't know how to switch screens. Go ahead, you're no, up. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, so now I have to look at the camera. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, anytime you're there putting arcane symbols and salt on the ground and lighting candles, trying to get a new version of Windows running, you know, you, you know, you're in a bad zone there. Um, 
yeah. the usual stuff, wait for the server service pack to come out. But since 10 doesn't have service packs anymore, uh, we're in a bold new world here. Rolling patches down. Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. They just they just fixed the start menu, too. So that's great. Yeah. Well, actually, that was the first thing I loaded was the uh, classic start menu. Yeah. So you can actually get a real start menu on yeah. Windows 8. Um, can we talk about your uh, uh, Windows Dev is less horrible, or is that mine? No, 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 no that's mine. Actually. Okay, because yeah, so Windows Dev is, is less horrible than it was. This, this is actually a fun little uh, segue. So, uh, especially the, the generation that I'm from, you know, get off my lawn, kids, whippersnappers. I think you and I are in the same generation. Yeah, we, we've both had POSIX textbooks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> staring at the Kurgan and Richie C books. Oh, yeah. Hey, yes. Yeah, I always wanted to get mine signed. Design pattern. Gang of Ooh, Go ahead. Yeah, still relevant. Anyway, you know, we, we grew up in the, the Linux. You know, the ascendancy of Linux and the absolute general horror. Now, there's some Windows developers out there, and I'm not going, I'm going to malign you initially. Do so, it, why not? Uh, yeah. So you can send me all to, uh, you know, K. Rimbold. <laughs> no, 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 no. But no. Um, Windows development was always in this little tiny sandbox, and Linux development was open, free, and glorious, and we had all these languages and fun things and, and whatnot. So I've been very, very pleased. I'm working more and more with Windows lately with one of my clients. It's thoroughly interesting how far they've come the other way around. So there's certain things uh, like, you know, the, the Visual Studio has been essentially uh, brought to Mac and Linux. Uh, you can run .NET on Linux. Um, you can run ASP.NET basically everywhere now. They're starting to get their act together. And particularly some of the fun stuff that I'm seeing with some of their distinguished engineers have just been kind of breathtaking on how open and interesting and cross-platform they've gotten. As far as if you're still in this, you know, Windows, Windows last world, you know, the, the quaint visual studio.net hell that uh, used to be development under Windows. Take it, you know, give it a little bit of a, a peek and see what they're doing. Uh, so, I mean, Windows containers are coming. People have been playing around with that. It is a full Docker experience for Windows, running both Linux and with a micro installation of Windows, believe it or not, uh, as a full container system. Oh, wow, that's interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some interesting things. Uh, Chef has been deeply in bed with Microsoft. Really? Uh, deeply in bed. Uh, there's actually this guy, and I, I've got a bit of a developer e-crush on this guy, Jeff, <laughs> Jeffrey Snover. Uh-huh. And he's in charge. He's the father of PowerShell. Which well, is, you've been mentioning PowerShell a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so, okay. So it's not just a replacement for, it's not just a gimped out bash and Sigwin. It actually is hardcore. Everything you can do with the Windows API for configuration, and do it in PowerShell with a command line. So kind of neat. So this guy actually has been trying to get this done for 13 years. And ended up taking a massive demotion and some ridicule to follow his dream and get this thing through. So they, they told him to give this thing up. Nobody really wants to do command line stuff. This is Windows, haven't you heard? Uh, it's GUI, not this command stuff. And he stuck with it and ended up kind of shepherding this thing through. And now we have this PowerShell. And guess what? Since it's kind of command line based, it dovetails in very nicely with Chef and Puppet. And Microsoft is presenting at Chef and Puppet conferences left and right. And the whole thing boils down to this thing called this desired state configuration, where essentially it is a chef or puppet agent that drives the Windows API for machine configuration. Hmm. Um, the deploying things, writing things for Windows, um, you know, C-sharp is actually a pretty solid language. Is this what gives rise to like those container package containers like uh, chocolatey? Yeah. Because yeah, so I like chocolatey Chocolate, chocolate is nice. Nougat's nice. Nougat, yeah. yeah. So it. It's not this horrible, vast wasteland of shadow and, and, no. and sadness that, uh, you know, people running around and doing muggies with, you know, hockey armor and feather boas and stuff like that anymore. Um, just, trying, just trying to get stuff done. And feather boas. Yeah, so it's, it's not post-apocalyptic development, right? Yeah. You don't have people like springing from no. like one motorcycle no. onto no. a no. box or... So I'm not, not going to say... Do you have, wait, do you have any kind of spray chrome I could borrow? No, no, I'm not going to say it's shiny and chrome. I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying that it's, it's actually it's it's from a from a dev point of view, and I've been a hardcore Linux nerd for quite some time. Yeah, it's getting better. It, it's getting much better, and yeah. it's actually getting slightly respectable. So you know, the other so, thing is being up, and I, I only I just made all kinds of enemies with the dot net crowd. No, I, I, I don't think I actually did. Actually, I think you, you did them a service because I've noticed the same thing. The reason I haven't given up on Windows is actually when it's running, it's pretty good. Windows 10 is pretty good, actually. I like the interface. I like getting around it. It's just some of the warts around performance, which will be sorted out eventually. Um, I think is you know that's the biggest issues there. Yeah. It's a brand new version of the operating system. There's a lot of changes, but the development environment is pretty good. I want to take a side note on that and talk a little bit about TypeScript. So TypeScript is their you know ECMAScript six transpiler with extra features. It does type safety in JavaScript, and it's just another thing you were talking about the development tools. I think you're talking about Visual Studio Community Edition or Visual Studio Code. Yeah. That's the one, Visual Studio Code. Yeah. So it turns out the Visual Studio Code, you know, they've been working with the Angular team, for example, and probably the other teams out there. The Angular team has been working on getting annotations into the TypeScript language and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things they've done is they've built into Visual Studio Code an entire TypeScript compiler settings tool that other open source people are starting to use. So it's like it's part of the TypeScript compiler, but they understand it natively. It's pretty cool. It is kind of neat. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on Microsoft right yeah, now. Yeah. So source. Windows is kind of sort of getting cool again. Yeah, man. Which is a little strange. It flips out a bunch of the Mac people out here. Like it really does. You tell a Mac person that you're using Windows and they're like, I don't think you should be doing that. You know? And uh, we're like, well, yeah, but it's it's there. And I, I can't get an Apple tablet with handwriting that actually <laughs> runs an operating system that's not a toy operating system. Yeah, Sorry, uh, I'll never get another uh, free tool, which I never did. Um, but the bottom line is if they could just see that and they could figure out a way to make a lightweight actual, you know, OS 10 on a tablet, or if, if someone from Ubuntu could get around to actually really working on a good tablet version of Ubuntu, then we'd get a good alternative. But these are what's here. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so that's kind of a, a nice bloodletting of feelings. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about this? We didn't do yeah. this last time. Uh, there was an Airbus crash in uh, June, correct? As engineers, um, you know, we're, we're always straddling the fine line between uh, theory and optimal and the actual real world in which we live, which is messy and nasty and, uh, you know, has compromises and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the same way a bridge builder can't neglect the shearing strength of steel, the software engineer can't neglect the issue of the trade-off between time and space and memory and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, and, and the things go wrong randomly, which is the joys of software engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, so cosmic rays, quantum whatever, uh, you know, so uh, one of the, the worst things is, is just some of the blunders that you can do where you're absolutely sure that you're doing the right thing and you don't. Uh, so, well. so there was a recent Airbus crash and it's their new Airbus, 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 Airbus uh, A400. Uh, that's their, their big flagship. And it went down and took the test pilot with it. And it turns out that the, um, the sole reason for this was change control. So somebody has version had, control. You it's, mean? It's, like it's essentially actually version control. Oh boy. Um, so when the, the, the jet was being retrofitted, torque calibration parameters were accidentally wiped from three of the four engines oh. as they were being retrofitted back at the uh, facility. So the individual performance characteristics for each engine, each, each engine no. showed up basically brain dead. Oh and so they took off, they throttled up, and three of the engines said, Meh. and then the fourth one tried to figure out tried to actually compensate and uh, it's too late. so do your best effort. The, the weakest link in the chain is where things are going to go wrong. But, you know, it's important for all of us to understand that a lot of the actions that we do take do have real world consequences. Yep. Uh, so it's not all business applications. You know, we actually do touch the lives of a lot of people. 
and uh, it's something to keep in mind. Uh, so they're doing a, a root cause analysis on that. That's going to look like it's a nasty goof in their process. Yeah. Not everything's software. A no, lot, of, more a lot like, of it's process. If I remember from reading the article a long time ago, it was that someone just wiped those parameters as, as they didn't pay attention to restoring those. Is that what it was? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. So that's that. Yeah. And well, that kind of leads that leads to the Therac twenty five a little bit concept wise. Right. So Therac twenty five was a radiation machine for, uh, if I remember correctly, for treating cancer patients. Is yeah, that right? It's a chemotherapy machine, and this is their your stereotypical how everything can possibly go wrong in software engineering, but actually it does. You know, it kills people, and this is something that I think if you're serious about what we do as engineers in the real world, definitely worth a read and getting up some of uh, the background on this because it was supposed to be 100% more safe than the physical interlocks that the software replaced. And it turns out that it ended up fatally irradiating several people going in for chemotherapy. Yeah. Um, so, but it's it's good lessons. And that learned. was a race condition, wasn't it? Uh, I yeah, thought it was, that was, it was, that was. It was partially, I believe it is a race condition. Um, I mean, I, I read it a while back, but I think it was something related to that. But it's also a decent amount of hubris. Yeah. We all have to be a little bit aware of. And the operators also didn't really know what to look for. Yeah, everything that could have gone wrong did. did and yeah. so the guy's like, hey, this burns. And they said, ah, you know, right. you know, take it, you know, relax to, you know bite down on this stick, Jeez, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but, you know, it's just one of those uh, interesting bits as engineers. Engineering you know, can kill. Engineering yeah. can kill. Or a lack of engineering. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't, as software guys, we don't really, uh, we don't really get the opportunity to basically, you know, cause mass tragedies like that. Uh, like say somebody like in Volkswagen. <laughs> but, oh wait, that actually, no, is, that's, relevant. that's relevant. The yes. planet, the planet. Yes. The planet is a rather yeah, nasty. So it's not mechanical engineering or anything like that. They're saying actually a couple other companies are coming clean on theirs too. So yeah. it seems like it was just an industry standard to buck everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. All right. So uh, can we pull out of this somehow? Let's see. Yeah, let's, let's try to get a little, <laughs> a little happy here on this morning. Uh, here's another interesting one that just came across the wire. Uh, and I have a, we'll put links to all these articles online at chariotsolutions.com slash news for episode 101. Uh, this one's from ZDNet. It's a Google and Microsoft make patent piece. So, uh, Cats after, and dogs living together. That's hysteria. So, um, yeah. So, so after years of fighting and, and wrangling and fun stuff with lawyers and such, they decided that it's probably cheaper to just not sue each other anymore. It's a ceasefire. So the quote is, in a joint statement, the two companies declared, Microsoft and Google are pleased to announce an agreement on patent issues. As part of the agreement, the companies will dismiss all patent pending infringement litigation between them, including cases related to Motorola mobility. Mm, mm. Yes. Separately, Google and Microsoft have agreed to collaborate on certain patent matters and anticipate working together in other areas in the future to benefit our customers. So it looks like the patent wars, at least for now, are over. Uh, for now. <laughs> they could sue people. I think there's a couple dozen other patent wars just, running around. You know what it is? I, you know what? I, I, we've been together a long time. I just, want to see, I just want to sue other people. Okay. I just want to sue I, other people. I, I, I want to move on. I know. I want to move on. You're free. You're free too. <laughs> All right. And uh, you have a last word here, um, I believe. I oh, believe. wait. Before we do that, hold on. I'm sorry. Uh, I want to point out two events that are coming up from Chariot. Number one is on November 10th, 2015, if you're watching this later. Downtown in Philadelphia, we've got a Bluetooth low-energy workshop with Don Coleman, our director of development here. It's going to be, I believe we're capping about 40 people. Uh, there's a small fee to attend, but you will get a, if I remember correctly, it's going to be an Arduino, and you'll work with that and some sensors on the Arduino to communicate Bluetooth with your phone back and forth. 
uh, and do some development on it. So you'll get a, a chance to play around with that stuff. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's at our site on the events page of the site. If you just go to news and events and pick events, you'll see it there. And also Cherry is sponsoring coming up Closure Conj, C-O-N-J for those in the uh, Lisp world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Closure Conj is coming to Philadelphia, November 16th to 18th uh, at the Sheraton Dock Street, downtown of Philadelphia. A nice venue, especially if you're staying there. Very nice. Oh, my God, great restaurants everywhere and mm-hmm. such. Um, and if you've never seen the Liberty Bell, it's a, a short walk away. Uh, well, medium walk away. Medium. Um, yeah, medium. Uh, that's at closure-conj.org, and we are a sponsor. We will be there in force. So come stop and see us at the booth. Yeah, if you feel as though you're not using enough parentheses in your life, <laughs> and that nine and zero key are delightfully unworn on your keyboard, closure is the answer. So. That's, that's what we're going to go with. We're going to go with that. Did you have an out uh, parting shot here or a parting comment? I thought I saw in here somewhere. Thought provoking academia. I, I could, I could do, I could do my little, my thought of the day. Let's uh, do it. So, okay. So, I, I've always been a bit of a, a theory buff, uh, which mm-hmm. is, you know, most of my professors back in college would be thoroughly shocked. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, wait, would they, would they be thoroughly shocked? They be, yes, they would be. Theory theory shocked. Ken Ripple, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Yes. Coining yes. stupid statements for the day. He's here all week. <laughs> uh, so, um, just the thing I bumped into on the latest uh, 2015 SIG Act news. Uh, so, I, I didn't even know it existed. And it's uh, probably not a whole lot of other people know it existed. But uh, there's this uh, concept of uh, state of transactional memory, which actually provides uh, atomic access, atomic concurrent right access to RAM. So imagine all the fun that you have with your mutexes and oh, nobody does that anywhere. Everybody's all running, clo- running closures. But um, if you ever do any kind of hardcore multi-threading stuff and beneath the covers of all of your closures and, uh, and continuations, there are locks and continuations and weightings yeah. and polling and all this other fun stuff. Has to be. Yeah. Uh, this is actually allows in hardware concurrent multiple access to RAM without any kind of software locks. Uh, wow. So, which is kind of nice because threading is the bane of all software engineering currently now that we're in a, you know, a, a multi-core and soon hyper-core world. Right. You know, uh, all those laws of, uh, we're not going to double anything in the next 18 months. We're all, we're going to be sticking around like 10, 10, 8 nanometers for quite some time. Yeah, now. we're going to throw a lot of things onto the bus. Yeah, and more, see more, Moore's law is coming to a screeching halt. Uh, we should all be aware of that. Uh, but it's just kind of a neat thing that the people are, it's very smart people are working on it. Uh, so it's actually in the latest ACM SIG Act, uh, June 2015. So, hey, it's, it's not ready for prime time yet. They're still figuring it out. There's a whole lot of theory and work need to get done on it. But it's actually now present in Intel, Haswell, and Power 8 chips. Hmm. Um, and really big in Haskell. Uh, so it may come to a language near you. Uh, sometime in the future, but it's neat to think that there's some actual, uh, you know, there's hardware solutions to the problematic and uh, nagging software issues that we have today, especially with concurrency. And, uh, and it's only going to get worse as we start moving out to uh, many, 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 many more cores. I mean, you already kind of have that now with uh, people using GPUs, right? Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you program a GPU. I know it's totally different. And I know that there are people that are getting really good at doing non-graphical computations. There, yeah. what, what's the, there's a common API for that, isn't that no, the name? Each one's different. Uh, NVIDIA has their grid. And right. I, I forget the actual C, but... CUDA is what I'm thinking yeah, of. Well, the CUDA is the, yeah, the, chip, the parallel chip technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's yeah. like... So anyway, the only reason I mentioned is two years ago at an Android conference, someone was showing us some sort of CUDA API that's supposed to work across certain platforms. Huh. I, I, you know, I'll have to pull it up. I'll see if I can pull it in the show notes. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, very so this is the, instead of software transaction memory, this is hardware transactional access or 
uh, atomic access to memory areas, thread safe across many cores. You may never have to write another mutex condition variable again. Which means you may not have to write a bug in mutex or, you know. Yeah. Bugs, bugs ascendant. Oh, my God. Stuff. Yep. Oh, yeah. I um, would not know how to do it. Yeah, um, so we're still talking, you know, probably a decade plus out. But yeah. it's, it's neat to see that some of the, uh, the cutting edge of software engineering right now. So there's all kinds of fun stuff going on out there. Well, then by then, my robot will be programming for me. And yes. I just kick it and, you know, drop the oil can and say, I'm never giving you any more oil. And the hell with you. Well, as we all know, rapid application development spells the ends of programmers. We're everywhere. So, so they say. Managers we'll writing software. Hey, okay, so on that one, we're going to stop. So uh, this has been the Cherry Developer News, episode number 101. Just a quick uh, advertorial for you. If you head over to the Chariot website, you will find a number of things, including our blog. On the blog, we have plenty of discussions around things like Scala, WebSockets, and uh, Java servers, hardware machine, configuration for Windows 10, all sorts of stuff our developers are interested in across a whole bunch of different areas, even programming the 6502 with Rod Beerish and his uncle, who happens to have been one of the people who invented the 6502. That's so less about them in the 6503 now. Uh, and <laughs> so that's our blog. If you go to podcast, you see us. And we basically have four shows that we're trying to get back on track. So we're so darn busy, we don't do them enough. But the developer uses that one. We also then have the uh, screencast from all of our different conferences, such as Philly Emerging Technologies for Enterprise and the big media conference we did a couple years ago, and all those fun things. And of course, PDF presentations. Uh, again, we have our events here. If you were looking for anything that uh, we're going to do, here's the Bluetooth Low Energy Workshop page. So visit us at cherrysolutions.com. This will be on here as episode one. So for the developer news, I am trying to get my screen back. For the developer news, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Jeff Foskey. And we'll try to be a little more coherent with this next week. <laughs>